Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. Just before we share today's episode, I want to ask you to sign up to the Let's Talk Loyalty email newsletter. Our email newsletter is by far the best way for us to keep you up to date with all of the latest incredible loyalty stories we're sharing each week. It's also the easiest place for you to find our show notes with links to everything mentioned in all of the episodes. You can sign up at letstalkloyalty.com. Hello and welcome to today's episode featuring industry insights from Giant Food, the number three grocery chain in the United States. Ryan DeRade is leading Giant Food's loyalty approach with a unique perspective. As you'll hear him explain, Ryan believes that loyalty leaders have a unique opportunity to create rituals that become meaningful moments in their members' lives. And he is passionate about making sure we create tangible value in a way that matters more than ever to shoppers. I loved Ryan's willingness to be courageous with his work. And especially how he said that he loves to often just shut up and instead really listen. I hope you enjoyed this masterclass in loyalty with Ryan DeRade, Head of Loyalty at Giant Food. So, Ryan, welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. Hey, Paula, good morning or good evening where you're at. <laughs> it sure is, Ryan. We have a long distance call and I'm super happy to see you standing uh, so proudly in front of your uh, your background there in your office. In um, Remind me which city you're in, Ryan, today. Yeah, no problem at all. So Giant Food is located right outside of Washington, D.C. in suburban Maryland. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So I think I confessed off air that I have not been to Washington, D.C. So I definitely have some work to do. So listen, yeah, let's get straight into it. I know you're a listener of the show, Ryan, um, and you do have some extraordinary credentials as well in terms of both your career and academically as well, which we're going to get into talking about today. And I think that's actually very noteworthy because you know, like certainly when I went to college, Ryan, I don't know about you, but like marketing was considered one topic and one subject and loyalty marketing actually, I don't think was covered at all when I studied. Sounds like you went more recently and uh, and that emerged through it. So maybe we'll actually just start with that and then I'll get into my usual opening question. But I am super curious as to how you got into this, I suppose, academic side of loyalty. No problem, Paula, and thank you for calling this out because I think this is a, a wonderful area for future study of loyalty to occur. Um, you're right. You know, when we were in school earlier, uh, there was no formal study of mm. loyalty programs, uh, and you're starting to see it come through now. And I'm happy to talk a little bit about that. Um, mm. I am an adjunct professor at Georgetown University for about four years now, where mm-hmm. I teach loyalty strategy within hospitality. Okay. Uh, they have a, a program there, continuing studies for hospitality leadership. And mm. so they put together an elective mm-hmm. uh, at the graduate level to mm. talk specifically about loyalty strategy. Uh, and we've turned it into a program that really covers the philosophy of these programs, you know, the why and mm. the how of, you know, why loyalty works in building long-term relationships, but also the, the very acute quantifiable aspects of it. 
Mm. Running a loyalty program, as you well know, is almost like running a small bank. Mm. Um, you know, there are costs, there's liabilities, and you need to to, yeah. to measure it very effectively. So it's a great opportunity to marry kind of the left brain yeah. and the right brain side of these uh, aspects together. But what delights me the most is that more and more colleges are recognizing loyalty as a defined area of study and yeah. somewhere where you can build a career so that mm-hmm. the next generation of leaders, you know, can see very early on, hey, this is something I really like and can yeah. really build a long-term, very successful career around as well. Yeah, amazing. And well said, Ryan, because one of the frustrations that even led to me starting this show was exactly this idea that just because I really understand marketing, even digital and e-commerce and all of these things that I was so proud of, doesn't necessarily mean I have the expertise. So I did my studies with the Loyalty Academy. I'm sure you're very familiar with the guys there as well. Um, And we do a lot of work with those, but you're absolutely right. There's so much demand and so much opportunity. And commercially, it's such a big responsibility. So at the end of the day, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that your university has brought you in. And the piece I particularly like about it as well, Ryan, is you are a practitioner. And I often felt when I went to to university, there was an awful lot of theory discussed and it wasn't always something that translated into the real world. So (laughs) thankfully you have- Yeah, Yeah, you know, and I'll just say on that front, you know, my my only public service announcement during our conversation today (laughs) is for your listeners to consider going back to academia at some point because Paula, you nailed it on the head. Um, Often in college, you have incredibly smart professors who have no real world um, application. Um, yeah. So they teach in theory, you know, they're wonderful in a vacuum, but they can't tell you what actually occurs. And and for folks yeah. like ourselves who have been out there yeah. and have the war stories of what actually happens, it's yeah. a great plan to say, let me tell you what the theory is, but let me tell you, you know, where it falls apart, how yeah. it breaks, how it impacts people sure. um, so that you can marry both of those together. Um, so I do say it is an incredibly rewarding opportunity. Yeah. To go mm. back to your local college or even community college and say, is there an opportunity to become an adjunct? You can do it part-time uh, mm. while you're doing your career or maybe even after you retire. My yeah. father is 83 years old um, and is an adjunct professor uh, down in Florida teaching wow. courses. You know, after a very long, uh, yeah. wonderful career as a Marine officer, yeah. uh, he is also teaching as well. So, you know, you could do it at various points in your lives and it's just really rewarding. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. I love that. Very inspiring, Ryan. My own father's 83. And actually, I think I do still learn more from him than from anybody else. So um, yeah, totally. All that wisdom, it's uh, it's important to capture it. But listen, let me get back to my my, uh, normal starting question. I got excited about that, got carried away. But given all of this amazing expertise and your career and academia we just talked about, you must have a favorite loyalty program. And of course, you're not allowed to say giant foods. <laughs> no, so, of course not. No, other than that. Not, no. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Tell us. And, and I have my mug here to prove it. Uh, I am a big fan of uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, have been for years. Anyone who lives on the East Coast mm-hmm. loves Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, they are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, very affordable, good coffee, amazing donuts. I probably had way too much in my life. Uh, but uh, <laughs> oh, I love the loyalty program because they really make it easy to engage. Uh, and, and that's one of the, the big barriers of a good program is just being able to jump in and do something with it. Um, mm. So I love how they've set up their app that you mm. see the offers immediately, you know where you stand in terms of your point profile. 
Yeah. Uh, and now they've created a variety of different ways that they can redeem points. Now, however, Paula, I will say, you know, they made that change late last year, if I remember right. Yeah. And there was a little bit of a backlash because before you could use your points for any size drink and any type of drink you wanted. Mm. And now they have it very specific that you can use points only for certain items. So they created a little bit of a backlash in that yeah. they essentially devalued the program but increase the flexibility of what you could do with the points. And I think that kind of reflects a lot of the issues that us as loyalty leaders face mm. is, you know, how do you get the most out of all your products and create an interest across the portfolio, yeah. but at the same time, managing the costs of the program to make sure that it is still effective and one that you can support. So I feel their pain because I know it's tough to hear that type of negative feedback, but yeah. unabashedly, I am still a big fan. <laughs> okay, well, well done you. Um, I, I'm trying to stay away from delicious donuts most of the time uh, because they're too good. So there's there's certainly loyalty built in right there. But you're right, actually. I think the piece about devaluation is something that, you know, certainly on this show, Ryan, we probably need to um, discuss a lot more as we go forward because there has been a lot of big programs that, again, I think the media picks up on the devaluation in a very negative way, which is very difficult for the program owner to uh, to manage, of course. I mean, they will anticipate it, but of course, once the business decision is made, there's absolutely um, no control, of course, they have around that narrative. But interesting, actually, I was talking recently here, you know, different sector completely, but with Skywards, you know, as an airline in terms nice. of, you know, exactly what was happening. And you know, where they were consulted and they were, you know, like the business channels and stuff were asking about the, you know, the issue. And they just said, look, we haven't changed our pricing in 10 years. And really it is a restructuring of the reward strategy. So they were very convincing, I suppose. So I guess what I'm trying to say is for any loyalty program owners that are here and listening and concerned, if they're being asked to devalue something, um, there's definitely a narrative that I think it's important to share um, and to have some upside as well, because even Boots in the UK, Ryan, I know you're you're very familiar with the pharmacy sector, but they also did on paper devalue the currency. But oh. actually what they did was they put different value, much richer value into other areas of the program. So I think it's super interesting. Um, the challenge, as you said, there's there's always this business to manage in terms of running a loyalty program. So Duncan is no exception. I haven't had their coffee, I will say, but I believe the coffee's good, yeah? It, it is. It's not as strong as like a Starbucks or whatnot, but uh, it is incredibly delicious. And again, yeah. I, I visit them way more often than I should. So okay. that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And I'm guessing yeah. it's probably more affordable than Starbucks. And to be honest, I Very think, so. you know, that's something you're super conscious of. Again, I know in terms of giant foods and, and, and your industry overall, there's just a lot of people looking for ways to, to find value. Um, so oh, yeah. it certainly sounds like Duncan has managed that. I said to you off air, actually, my one... Um, Curious piece around Duncan is the fact that they don't own their domain name, Duncan.com. Now, pardon me, they probably own DuncanDonuts.com. But um, if it was me, I know I've come from a background, again, in airlines where I worked with British Airways and we didn't yes. own BA.com for many, many years. And it was a very high profile, very embarrassing issue. But, oh, I'm sure. you know, it really is important, I think, because... You know, with this show, Ryan, we talk about loyalty in a very holistic way. It's not just our points and our programs. It is any kind of experience with the brand. And, you know, I just think it would be um, a nice thing if they could get uh, Duncan.com maybe for the future. 
Yeah, I'm sure there's a very interesting story behind that that uh, we, we haven't sure. heard about yet. But uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go do some research on that because now I'm very curious to understand what's really going on there. <laughs> totally, totally. And if we can get them on the show to share the story, we'd be delighted better, to. Yes. There you go. <laughs> So listen, let's get into the work that you're doing, Ryan, uh, day to day. You've got this extraordinary company you work for. And again, a lot of our listeners around the world, of course, will know some of the big brand names in grocery in the United States. But give us a sense of Giant as a brand and market share and profile. Problem at all. So uh, I work for a grocery chain called Giant Food. Now, Giant is part of the larger Ahold uh, grocery conglomerate, which is a global entity based out of the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So a lot of folks don't realize this truly is a uh, an international company. Um, Ahold has five grocery chains in the U.S. Uh, all along the eastern seaboard. Um, Food Lion down in the south, Giant okay. here locally, mm-hmm. uh, Stop and Shop up in the northeast, Hannaford's Food, and the Giant Company. So we're actually the number three grocery retailer in the U.S. when you put together all yeah. of our chains um, behind Albertsons and Kroger, who are one and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we occupy a, a very important position and giant here locally in what we call the mid-Atlantic area, Paula, mm-hmm. DC, Maryland, Virginia is actually the number one grocery retailer. Uh, we have 165 locations in those three states uh, and about an 18% market share. Wow. Uh, and so that's fascinating when you think, okay, 18% and yeah. you are the leader in that area, it shows you how competitive grocery is in this area. Uh, yeah. That you have so many different players, and and Paula, it's not just traditional groceries like Safeway or yeah. uh, Kroger's. It is the big boxes like Costco, mm-hmm. uh, Walmart's, the low cost providers. So many more now, like the Aldis and the Lidl's that have come in. Wow, ethnic stores like H Mart. Uh, you know that that uh, go toward Asian populations or Latino populations. Mm. Uh, dollar stores have become increasingly into grocery, especially in the current value-focused mm. time. And then you have the tech players like Instacart. All yeah. that put together is a crazy amount of competition, and we're all selling the same thing. You know, so it's very commoditized when you think a can of beans that you're going to get from our store is, by and large, the can of beans that you're going to get from the variety of these other co- competitors. So, where can we be different? Obviously, a loyalty program is one of the key areas of differentiation. And so I know we'll go into detail a little bit more there, but you know yeah. that's really where we're hanging our hat. Um, one of the things I say, Paula, that scares me the most is a competitive grocery store opening a half mile closer to where my member or my customer lives. Yeah. Because so often what it comes down to is price inconvenience. Mm-hmm. The lowest price right now, especially in a recession and trying to stretch the dollar with inflation yeah. and the fact that I don't want to drive too far. I want to get my groceries quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to think outside the box in terms of building programs that give value, that yeah. make it easy. And, and dare I even say, try something different to mm-hmm. connect with the customer because often it is the sea of sameness, Paula. It's yeah. hard. It's the same thing, you know, using for the same type of opportunities. Yeah. And points are things that you can touch. It's not tangible. And mm. you really need to figure out ways of being able to connect. And other industries have done so well with that. Airlines, mm. uh, hotels, where the programs, in addition to having a currency, solve a problem for the customer or make their lives easier or even delight them. And yeah. so that's really what we're trying to chase is, you know, what is that ritual that we can establish with our customers that can really make them feel connected to us. I love it. 
And I mean, so many things I want to pick up on, Ryan. Um, first and foremost, you're absolutely right. The, the, the physical reality and the threat of increased competition on the ground in the real world with a, a brand like yours that has such an incredible footprint has to be ever present. But even my own behavior, Ryan, I've started to notice recently, and you've already kind of alluded to it, but you know, the, the, the tech e-commerce threat, for me, that switch only happened very recently. So in your sector, I mean, specifically. So I've been buying books like the rest of the world on Amazon for 10, 15, who knows how many years. But I did start to feel recently that some of my grocery shopping that I was getting delivered from, in fairness, probably a luxury retailer here in the grocery sector. And I just went on Amazon and I started buying my water and other kind of, you know, everyday essentials um, on Amazon, which, uh, you know, I'm sure you're you're painfully aware of all of that. Yes. But it means, <laughs> honestly, you've got so much work to do, you know, in just, as you've said, in terms of, I like what you said, try to do something different. Because that yeah. whole sea of sameness, the jadedness around loyalty, to me, that's a very real pr problem. And especially in mature markets like you're in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of loyalty programs, Paula, are often afraid to take a chance. And so the safe path is yeah. to do what other people are doing. Hey, if it's working for them, yeah. then obviously they're doing something right. So let's just build a similar model. And uh, sometimes yeah. that idea of sticking your neck out, you know, and even dare I say failing yeah. and learning from it, you know, yeah. offers tremendous value, you know, yeah. and that's something that I hope loyalty leaders are, are they have the courage to yeah. try to consider ways to think outside the box. And that doesn't mean blindly taking chances or or even thinking that you're the smartest person in the room and, you know, yeah. saying, well, because I put this on my whiteboard, you know, it's going to work. Yeah. You do need to talk to your customers. You know, you need to have this idea yeah. of shut up and listen, you know, like we <laughs> talked about, you know, yeah. that, you know, sit back and let them tell you what their pain points are, you know, where the opportunity is, and then yeah. look at your resources and what you're able to do to marry that with what you can provide and a tremendous opportunity and times yeah. in my career where I feel like we've been able to do that successfully. Amazing. Well, we'll definitely get into some of those stories now, Ryan, but I like the way you have framed the, the you know, let's call it the formal uh, terminology, I guess, would be the market research. But I like the informality of what you said, because I sometimes feel with market research, it is so structured and regimental that you kind of tend to, again, glaze over it and go, you know, you don't tend to always spot the, the opportunities um, because it starts to feel, again, a little bit the same, you know, that, of course, people are frustrated and you get a lot of that kind of feedback. Of course, everybody wants their groceries for free. So it tends to have sometimes limited value, whereas this mindset that you've articulated about shut up and listen is coming from a real place of wanting to hear. Like it's, it's very different than going through the motions. And I think that's yeah. what I really like. So I, I might call this uh, episode, Shut Up and Listen and see. <laughs> you, you and I should trademark that, you know, then, then we can hopefully profit <laughs> off as well. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. But the other words uh, that you used, which I love, and I know you're, you're very proud of, Ryan, um, in all of your thinking is this idea of loyalty as a ritual. So- yes. You know, I know it's part, again, of your your kind of teaching um, back at the university, but would you explain why do you think um, loyalty programs and tools and mechanics, why do you consider that as a ritual in business? Yeah, absolutely. So um, rituals, 
are these formal ceremonies where human beings connect with each other. Uh, and what makes us identify is part of something larger than who we are. And you know, rituals occur very formal, you know, a president being sworn in, a sporting event, um, you know, a, uh, a wedding, uh, but can even be everyday common things that you would never even consider. Um, Paula, myself going to Dunkin' Donuts every morning and getting my coffee is in itself a very subtle ritual. Yeah. It's me saying I'm ready to start my day. Yeah. Uh, and Dunkin' gets to connect with me as part of that. So, so the idea of where I wanted to take that, you know, and speaking about it and teaching about it as well, is mm. loyalty programs have an opportunity to seize upon that, to turn the relationship from one that can be transactional, you know, very rich and powerful, but yet still merely transactional to something that really is more emotional in nature. And, and the example that I often use is just one that I think anyone can uh, really relate with is on the airline side. Mm. Um, so when you look at airlines that give you status, Mm -hmm. uh, think about when you're able to get on the plane earlier than anyone else. That yeah. is a ritual, the early boarding. Um, yeah. You're relieved of the stress. You get on there, there's no one ahead of you. The overhead space is completely open. There's yeah. no one staring at you to create that anxiety or that stress, but you were able to settle before any of these other poor people who have to get on 20 minutes <laughs> later, which is a very stressful situation. Oh my God, where am I going to put my stuff? Everyone's looking at me. Uh, you know, How do I sit down yeah. as quickly as I can? But they have built a ritual there where they are solving an issue for mm. their best customers. Now, those people are still earning points, absolutely, and able to do a lot with them. But yeah. every time that they fly, they are connecting with the loyalty program and saying, because I'm a member, because I'm this elite member, mm. I received this wonderful benefit. Thank you, you know, whether it's United or Delta you know, or what have you. And that often can be more powerful as a reason to stay and yeah. to give that long-term relationship then points, you know, which which can be used, you know, kind of on an infrequent basis, but you can't yeah. touch and you can't connect with. So that idea of a ritual is something that I go out and talk to companies and say, mm. you know, where can you connect with with your customer? Don't just think of your points or your currency, but yeah. where do you interact? Is it in a store? Is it on a website? Is mm. it via a contact center? There are so many different ways mm. that you can connect to try to either solve a problem or mm. to accentuate something really wonderful that you do for them. Absolutely. And I have to say, I always have that sense of feeling a little bit smug <laughs> when yes, I get to yes. board early as well. I should admit that. Yes. <laughs> totally. My yes. ego is all over it. I'm like, yeah, I'm one of the whatever. So, yeah, that's probably not a good thing to confess. But you're right. I mean, you know, it's definitely it makes me very conscious about the status that I have earned and very concerned about losing it. So as you've said, the redemption piece is super important, but at the end of the day, all of those soft benefits, as we call, call them emotional benefits, they're the ones that actually make me behave in a very tangible, different way, in a way that I can't necessarily always articulate. So I think on this show, we've talked a lot about this idea, and I like your wording about the ritual piece, because what I think it does, Ryan, is it makes it more of a part of the customer psychology, like the human um, essence of all of us. Whereas yes. when we talk in, you know, formal language, like emotional loyalty and transactional loyalty, that might be appropriate in the boardroom. But I think when we're inspiring our teams, it's nicer to remind people, as you've said, that, you know, there is a place that you want your brand to have in the life of your customers. 
And how can you make that something that they value in lots of creative ways? And it seems to me like you like to think creatively and out of the box and do things that maybe haven't been done in particular industries. So any other experiences you can share, Ryan, like even from your previous career, because we haven't talked about it too much before Giant Foods, but maybe tell us about some of the other programs you've been involved with and some of the work that you're really proud of. Yeah, thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. Um, I'll tell you where that loyalty spark started, um, which was back when I worked in the financial services industry. Um, there is a student loan lender called Sally May here in the United States, which is the largest lender for okay. folks going to college or graduate school, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. I was in their direct marketing group, uh, newly minted MBA coming out of Georgetown, really excited. Uh, yeah. But my goal was to get folks coming in to take loans. It's that uh, direct marketing mentality. You're yeah. hunting, you're trying to acquire, you get them in, and then you move on to the next target. Yeah. Um, an issue that the company was having was we were losing a lot of loan holders to other competitive lenders. Uh, they were frustrated that they didn't understand what they were getting into. Uh, they didn't understand the terms. Think of an 18-year-old trying to navigate the idea of borrowing $40,000 a year. Yeah. Um, they're not equipped to be able to handle that, yet we treated them like a sophisticated uh, financial, you know, adult, you know, who could understand what they're doing. And yeah. so Paula, you know, what I heard over and over was listening into our contact center, parents and students who, after they graduated six months later, they go out to their mailbox mm-hmm. and there would be a letter from Sally Mae and it will be a bill for $1,500. Uh, and it says that you now owe us $1,500 a month. Yeah. And they would say something awful. I can't afford to pay this. Oh, I never knew what I was getting into. And that's what stuck with me. You know, our customers saying, I never knew what I was getting into, yet we were putting them in this situation. So on the back of an envelope, it's one of those crazy little stories, you know, on a napkin, actually. I modeled out a program that said, well, what if we told them before they ever signed that first promissory note, what the estimated cost of their total education would be? Not just borrowing for one year, but to say, Ryan, you want to go to Georgetown? Mm. Uh, it's about fifty thousand dollars a year. So for four years, you know that's two hundred thousand. You're probably going to get this amount of student loans. Your parents may be able to contribute this, you know, and you put those details in. So yeah. after all is said and done, do 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 it. That's a calculation. You're probably going to owe fifteen hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Now knowing that right now, do you think you can afford that? And being able to do that for any school in the nation using real college costs. And so we built this system that actually did that because we wanted our prospective customers to know what they were getting into. If they knew what they were getting into, they wouldn't hate us as much. They may not like us, but they would respect the fact that we were educating them and empowering them of the decision that they were making. Because Paula, after they took that student loan, what do we want them to do? Take a credit card as they went into the working world, start a checking account. We wanted to build a long-term relationship, you know, which is where the whole loyalty idea you know, yeah. wow, there's really an opportunity for a career here. So going back to the idea, um, it was listening to customers actually, you know, going on to the contact center and spending an hour every week, just mm-hmm. listening in with other agents and hearing the emotion, hearing the issues, yeah. aggregating the data to say, you know what, here's a real opportunity here. It mm-hmm. may not be something that you can financially quantify, but there is a ton of emotion in these folks saying they mm-hmm. don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Let's help them build the system. Uh, I ended up getting a patent for it, even though uh, I never made a cent off it because uh, wow. the, the company owns yeah. it. But yeah. I'm really proud of that, Paula, in that we we helped people 
by listening to them and building something that hopefully steered many of them away from bad debt and toward a school that they could afford and and at least having the right conversations with parents and guidance counselors um, to be able to do so. Incredible. The very fact that you, you know, have to use the words that at least they wouldn't hate us. I mean, that is unbelievable, you know, because we're all good people, especially in loyalty. I genuinely believe everybody who listens to this show wants to take care of customers, as you have demonstrated there. But you're absolutely right. Like I worked for an e-commerce brand where there was a cross sell in the um, in the flight bookings we used to do. And it was it was absolutely unethical and people did hate us. But commercially, the business thought it was doing a good thing for the business because they were selling more car hire. And they weren't connecting the dots with the complaints and the upset and the drama behind the scenes of customer service. So it blows my mind that that you actually had to, I suppose, formally recognize that problem as one human being in the company. And then I'm guessing you probably also had internal resistance because, again, there was probably a risk that they would go to the lender that didn't bother with the education piece and would just sign it away and, you know, would feel like the problem was was never going to arise. But did you, did you have yeah. internal resistance in that situation? Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, there were senior leaders who said, why do you want to open the curtain to expose them um, to a point where they may not come and do business with us? Yeah. Um, and then there were senior leaders who got it. And yeah. said, you know what? This is doing the right thing. While yeah. we may lose some folks, the ones that stay with us will stick with us yeah. and build longer relationships with us. And and thank God that group of folks won. Mm. Um, you know, and I and I think with your listening population, Paula, you know, you have folks that are on the the younger end of their career. Yeah. Um, you know, where there is an opportunity, you know, to show the courage to think outside the box and have the idea to say, yeah. what if we tried something different? But then there's also those folks at the senior level who just always need to keep their eyes open to the opportunity to do what's right and and that there's risk involved in doing so. And hopefully they have the courage to think very similar to how those folks did as well. Amazing. Amazing. And and one of the insights, you're absolutely right, is it is the mindset of we want loyalty from our customers 100%, but actually the first step in that relationship is to demonstrate our loyalty to them. And I think as an industry to actually go, how can we be loyal to, in your case, these students and really be of service is absolutely the mindset that I think our whole industry is coming around to recognize because at the end of the day, I can only imagine how the relationships went for those poor students who didn't have the benefit of your courage and having that education piece at the point that they took out. And again, I don't live in a country where I had to take out a $200,000 loan to educate myself. So it is pretty terrifying. And and loyalty. Yeah, loyalty and financial services, I think, particularly, Ryan. um, I don't know if you've worked in any other uh, financial services, but to me, it's one that, you know, it's very mature, but almost, you know, a victim of a lot of the um, complexity, I guess, in that business because, you know, they tend to have siloed relationships with customers. And it's hard to see almost the wood for the trees, I think, in financial services. Yeah, I agree, Paula. And I worked at Capital One, so I worked on both the credit card and the banking side as well. And um, so much of it is commoditized as well, very commoditized. You know, you're selling effectively the same type of products, you know, um, loans, credit cards, banking um, vehicles. um, And you're trying to figure out, you know, how can I make myself different? And, And so often, so much is put into 
the marketing and trying to, you know, get a pitch person, mm. you know, as opposed to things like service, mm. you know, can you pick up the phone a minute faster than you did before? Can you answer an email a day sooner? Yeah. Um, can you actually connect with folks and, and want to establish yourself as a, a service provider? And I think a lot of companies do the math and say, building service is going to take way too long and way too expensive when yeah. I know I can go hire the celebrity instead, you know, yeah. or just throw a lot of money at uh, mailers, emails. And that's a shame because the yeah. companies that have established themselves as incredible service providers, USAA, which is a big um, financial yeah. service insurer in the United States, is uniformly known for being phenomenal from service. They sell the exact same stuff any yeah. other insurance provider sells or bank, but people love them because mm. they feel special, because yeah. their agents and their people are taught to treat every customer uh, in a very specific way. And, and yes, it is expensive. It takes time. But above and beyond anything we do, Paulo, you know, points, anything else, treating customers right, to mm. me, is the ultimate loyalty program. Uh, yeah. I think if you do right by them, you know, those are the things that will make them stay with you, you know, yeah. versus any other thing that we're attempting to do. Yeah, couldn't agree more, Ryan. Um, and I did have Fred Reichelt on this um, ah, on this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was about a year and a half ago now. But but what blew me away was, you know, he used the word love in, you know, on a business show all the time. He was like, love your customers. And I'm like, oh, we're going that far. We're using the L word. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> there you go. Controversial. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. You know, I, I use uh, Mr. Reichelt's uh, books in my teaching class um, because the philosophy of what he taught yeah. is phenomenal with the ultimate question and some of the other efforts he has there. You know, in that yeah. idea behind don't just teach folks the mechanics of business, yeah. teach them the philosophy of yeah. understanding how customers feel and being able to react and relate to that. So he's he's been wonderful for this industry as well. He sure has, absolutely. And I know you had a great example in Choice Hotels as well, Ryan. I know you spent oh. a few years there. So yeah, will you share that one with us? Yeah, no, thanks, Paula. Um, so I was uh, fortunate to be able to lead their global loyalty program called Choice Privileges. Um, mm -hmm. Choice Hotels is at this point a global uh, hotel entity, one of the, the, the biggest in the United States and, and, and getting bigger around the world as well. Um, Choice traditionally has focused on economy to mid-scale properties. Um, these are often, at least in the United States, the type of hotels that you would come across on the roadside. You're taking a road trip and you need to stop for the night. You get off the exit ramp and there's likely a Choice Hotel. Uh, it is not usually a high-end, um, chocolate on the pillow uh, type of <laughs> hotel, but, but they yeah. are clean, they're consistent, yeah. free Wi-Fi, you know, yeah. good, and they're everywhere. You know, mm. so um, it, it was a very interesting opportunity to come in. Yeah. Uh, when I did so, they introduced a new type of hotel called a Cambria. A Cambria is an upper mid-scale business mm -hmm. traveler-focused hotel. So very different than what they did before. Because yeah. now they're going after business travelers versus these leisure travelers, you know, senior citizens or kind of small business folks. You know, mm -hmm. now it's folks that are going to the office. And at the end of the day, they come back to the hotel and they want to unwind. So they came to the loyalty program and said, well, what are we going to do special for these guys? Yeah. And when you took a step back, you just can't do what you always did and say, well, let's give them a bottle of water when they check in, you know, or, or something like that. You know what? They can expense that stuff. You know, that's something that they can, you know, the company will pay for. Yeah. But like we talked about before, Paula, we we shut up and we listened, you know, and so <laughs> we looked at we looked at the feedback from the market research. And what it showed us was, yes, these are business travelers. But what they wanted at the end of the day was to just disconnect from work. Mm -hmm. and just hang out in the hotel, yeah. maybe socialize, but unwind. 
And the wonderful thing about these new hotels was that every one of them had a full restaurant and bar located in them. And yeah. so then we got to thinking, okay, okay, we got this great opportunity for them to connect. We know what they want. We know what type of travelers they are. Yeah. Let's try something different. And so what we developed, Paula, was a coaster um, that was unique to every one of the hotels. So we had them in D.C., Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Los mm. Angeles. And the coaster had local artwork uh, that featured something of like, uh, you know, from yeah. the geography that, that was local to the area. We got an artist to do it. Beautiful. And when we checked into the loyalty program, uh, if they signed up at the hotel or if they were an existing member, we would give them the coaster and say, with this coaster, you can go to the restaurant and bar mm-hmm. and you can get a free drink, whether it's leaded or mm-hmm. unleaded. You know, if you want to get a wine, <laughs> go for it. If you want a soda or water, you know, more power to you. But yeah. this idea being that the loyalty program enabled them to go facilitate that connection. Yeah. Uh, now we're starting to think about rituals here, right? You know, because they got yeah. the coaster, they went there, they're sitting there, they're enjoying themselves. And you know, one drink probably mm. turns into maybe appetizers or maybe a meal, uh, yeah. more drinks. So yeah. the revenue of the restaurant goes up, yeah. but also they feel connected during their stay because of the loyalty program. Again, points they're mm. never going to see during the stay. You know, it means nothing. But this coaster was yeah. something that was like their passport, you know, to have that connection for the night. Mm. And, and what I really loved about Apollo was kind of similar to the, to the airline example. Yeah. Other people who may be checking in see someone get the coaster. Yeah. And they say, wow, what's going on there? You know, <laughs> why, why is that person getting that? Well, they joined the Choice Privileges program. Wow, how do I get to do it? You know, I want to be a part of that too. You yeah. know, so you facilitated this great opportunity to highlight the program with the product itself, the hotel stay mm. and marrying loyalty with the product. Mm. Um, so we, we were delighted, you know, that, that our leadership had confidence in moving forward with this. Yeah. We had to go through a lot of loopholes, you know, legal to make sure, hey, you know, we're not encouraging people to drink. This is okay to get an alcoholic drink, all that good stuff. Totally. Um, but the results were wonderful. We increased uh, the, the restaurant revenue. Mm-hmm. We increased the number of enrollments yeah. uh, at these properties. But we also increased the member recognition, kind of going back to, to Mr. Reichelt's, um elements of like yeah. net promoter and feeling important. And, and when we asked these folks, did you feel recognized during your stay? It went up like 25 to 30 points because they're like, yeah. You know, you yeah. gave me something special. Yeah. Um, so it's a wonderful program. I believe that it's still active um, mm-hmm. as of this date, which is about, you know, eight years after we introduced it. Yeah. So really happy with that one that we were able to think outside the box and, and create this ritual, which was really special for the customers there. I, I really like it, Ryan. And you know what I'm hearing as you're describing it? Like to me, there would immediately be a sense that I would be welcome in the bar and restaurant. Like, Beyond the fact of knowing it functionally exists, of course, that's always an expectation. But it's super easy as a business traveler to go and hide in the room, order room service, do my email, and really isolate. You know, especially as a woman, dare I say, in business, sometimes it's a little bit weird if I'm going to go and sit in a bar. But to feel welcome, like the barman's going to know who I am. Somebody else might have a coaster. You might have a, you know, a chat with people about that. So, I can see all of these little like opportunities to almost create a community. And then when it comes to the next business trip, absolutely that experience will stay. So I'm pretty sure that it had a very strong emotional result as well as the the, the functional value that you explained for us. Yeah, I like the way you phrase that, Paula, that idea that we effectively, you know, gave people like a passport to go yeah. uh, belong. 
yeah. you know, to be a part of something. You, you gave me an invitation. It may be an yeah. invitation is a better word. You gave me an invitation yeah. uh, to come be social and to hang out. And, and I think you hit it on the nail. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of people just sit in the room, they isolate, you know, but hopefully this encouraged them to kind of step outside the box and realize that, uh, you know, yeah. there is an opportunity to connect and to feel special. And if we accomplish that, you know, fantastic. Amazing. So bring us full circle then, Ryan, your current role, Giant Foods, as you've explained, it's an increasingly intensely competitive sector. Um, and grocery is something that we all do in so many different ways. But you are really, I suppose, laser focused on using your loyalty program as a differentiator. So how are you translating all of this um, career experience into this probably the most competitive sector, dare I say, of all the ones you've done? Maybe maybe that's a uh, I don't know, fair to say, but tell us how it are is. you doing? Yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah, it is, Paula. And, yeah. um, you know, I came into this role um, back in late 2019. Uh, I left the hospitality area to come to grocery yeah. probably three months before COVID hit. Okay. Wow. And, um, you know, getting into grocery, you know, I, I was fortunate because I know so many people lost their roles um, based upon COVID. Yeah. Uh, and I don't take that for granted, you know, of, you know, just being, you know, fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time. Um, yeah. What was interesting about the COVID years, Paula, is for grocery, um, they were very lucrative years because at least here in the United States with the lockdowns, um, people didn't go to work and they yeah. didn't go to restaurants. So they needed to get food. And yeah. what that often meant was they just went to the grocery store to get everything they needed. So yeah. Uh, it, it, it was, I'm not going to say easy, but, you know, it, it kind of took care of itself for several years. However, in the past year, as the world has opened, people go back to reality. They're going to restaurants or going back to work. Uh, we got to fight for our share again, you know, because yeah. loyalty is up for grabs. You know, people are willing to venture out. Mm -hmm. uh, the recession has hit incredibly hard yeah. uh, where there, people are looking to stretch their dollar more than ever before. A lot of the government benefits that the United States has given out have been pulled back. Yeah. Um, so shoppers that we could count on before that were able to subsidize their, their, their shopping mm. uh, are not able to do so. So again, they're looking to get the most out of every dollar they have. So yeah. where does loyalty come into that? Um, mm. You have to build a program that truly gives value and not just for platinums, you know, or that type of thing where, hey, if I spend X yeah. amount of dollars, I'm going to get something special. No, you know, in this industry, you got to try to help every individual you can. Um, what I find fascinating about Grocery Paula is we know eight out of 10 customers that come into our store. I've never had a member activity rate or, or uh, you know, an overall activation rate that high. Um, hotel yeah. Yeah. Uh, area was about 40 to 50%. You know, if you were doing really well, you knew about 50% of the folks coming in that had that loyalty relationship here. It's 80%. We, so that part is nice. Yeah. However, however, they are not loyalist. There is a small group of folks that will shop with you all the time, but then so many of them are just very casual shoppers. Well, this week I'm going to go to Giant. Maybe mm. I'll stop by Safeway. I'm going to mm. get my produce here. You know, so yeah. they can be very picky and you only get part of that share of wallet. Yeah. And so our goal is to say, well, how can we try to get them to choose us every week? Not just once a month. You know, mm. but on a regular basis and mm. go back to the idea that we're very commoditized. You know, we're selling the same can of beans yeah. that a lot of our competitors are. Maybe a competitor is a half a mile closer as well. Yeah. You need to think outside the box. It mm. can't just be the sea of sameness with mm -hmm. the usual type of things, you know, points that you can redeem for, 
you know, grocery, you know, savings, et cetera. We do have a gas relationship, which uh, we've had for over okay. 10 years where you can redeem points for gas. Okay. Uh, a lot of people use that, but a lot of our competitors do it too. Yeah. So where we arrived last year, thinking outside the box was, well, what if you could use our points to redeem for our private brand products, the products that we produce that have our name on them. So mm. it's only us, you know, who has access to them. Mm. And we hyper reduced the valuation so that they get the ultimate yield on the points and get things for as cheap as possible. And, and so let me give a quick example. Yeah. Um, we give a, a dollar or, or a point for every dollar spent. Mm-hmm. You get a hundred points. Typically you would get a dollar off your grocery bill or 10 yeah. cents off a year. Everyone yeah. does the same thing. It's pretty common. Sure. Yeah. Um, but what if those hundred points could get you a $4 gallon of milk or yeah. even just a few months ago, a $4 and 25 cent thing of eggs. So yeah. now your value per point went from one cent per point yeah. up to four, or four yeah. and a half cents per point. But the psychology there, Paula, was I wanted every customer to say, you know what, with what I'm spending, at least I know if I go to Giant, I'm going to get my eggs for free this week, or I'm yeah. going to get my milk for free. And, wow. and you know, free, you know, legally is yes, they are getting the points for it. But that psychological aspect of saying, yeah. every time I shop, the program did something for me. It didn't just earn points, but I walked out of the store yeah. with something of value because of engaging with this. Yeah. And when we did that, the engagement of that group of folks shot up significantly because they are looking to stretch their dollar and yeah. knowing that at least five bucks of you know something they would have paid for was free this week yeah. really made a difference in what we were trying to do. So that program has grown to nearly a million products redeemed okay. in under a year. Wow. Uh, and we're delighted at the amount of engagement that we're seeing with it and constantly looking to try to evolve yeah. it. Uh, yeah. We've now uh, gotten to a point where we have five points. We'll give you like a lime or a mm-hmm. lemon okay. or a free donut. You know, things yeah. usually cost like 70 cents, 80 cents, but yeah. only five points. You know, typically you couldn't do anything with five points. You know, it was worth <laughs> it. Yeah. Now five points gets you something free, you know? And, you know, again, it's small, but it's very powerful yeah. from a psychology point of view to say this program is yeah. looking out for me. It's it's giving me value every time I engage yeah. and how critical that is. So so that's yeah. where we're looking at now, you know, is really trying to, in yeah. this era of value, mm-hmm. focusing on elements like that. It's incredibly powerful and very inspiring, actually, Ryan, as well. So thank you for sharing those numbers and the rationale behind it, because I do think there is that, you know, to go back to your point at the beginning, you know, the frustration, the jadedness and very often the inability to to see the value in any program. So we'll collect all the points, we'll cut all the coupons. But at the end of the day, you know, they might collect in a pile either on my phone or, you know, or elsewhere in a drawer. So so to see and hear that you've actually had a million redeemed is absolutely extraordinary. And I remember from our our pre-call as well, Ryan, there's about 4.4 million members in your program currently. Am I right? Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So listen, I'm very conscious. I have about 20 more questions, but we are running out of time, Ryan. So I'll I'll finish with one and uh, and of course say that what I really hope is we can continue the conversation. Oh, I'd love to. Bring, bring you back next year, absolutely, to continue because 12 months flies by in this world of broadcasting. I can tell you that for nothing. Um, so we'll definitely want to keep uh, very close to, to the work that you're doing. So so I suppose just in closing, um, I want to you know celebrate the awards that you won recently um, and let you maybe tell us a bit about that and just anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap up. 
Thanks, Paul. I appreciate you giving me that opportunity. You know, we've been delighted uh, to be recognized by several groups this year. Uh, we were one of only three grocery chains in the U.S. to win the Newsweek uh, Best Grocery Program, three years Amazing. running, uh, yeah. 21, 22, 23. Okay. Uh, and then also Loyalty 360 gave us Best in Class and the Platinum Award for Loyalty Strategy. So going wow. back to uh, your ask, Paula, uh, that reflects the efforts of so many folks within this organization that have um, supported us, you know, down from my loyalty team to yeah. the leaders and the finance team who are willing to make the investment because they see the value in what we're doing to create incrementality and to retain our best customers. And it all comes down to the idea of building a long-term relationship and, and how that is facilitated. So thank you for allowing me the chance to, to recognize that. Wonderful way to finish up. So with all of that, I will say Ryan Durade, Director of Loyalty, CSM and Digital at Giant Food. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you so much, Paula. Take care. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 500 executives in 38 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.